0: Q and Review, celebrating 40 years of audio production, welcomes you to this week's edition of the Glasgow Times Sports Podcast, recorded from our studio in the Bishop Bragg Media Centre and by our volunteers working from home. Keep up to date with Q and Review news via our Facebook, Twitter or Instagram at Cue and Review that's at sign C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W or get in touch with us directly by emailing information at com. that's i-n-f-o-r-m-a-t-i-o-n at sign c-u-e-a-n-d-r-e-v-i-e-w dot c-o-m or by calling 0141 772 3976 please like and share our podcast and give us constructive feedback.
1: Evening times sport october three Celtic's Tom Rogic announces retirement from football report by Aidan Smith Celtic hero Tom Rogic has issued an emotional social media message confirming that he has decided to retire from football. The former Australian international enjoyed a hugely successful period in Glasgow that saw him win six league titles, five Scottish Cups and five League Cups. He subsequently left the club in the summer of 2022 after Ange Posticoglu had taken over as manager. He would go on to sign for West Brom but things just never worked out as well as his time at Parkhead. Rogich has revealed that he and his wife have endured a challenging journey with fertility issues in recent years, and he now feels the time is right to concentrate on his family with a two-year-old already in his arms and twins on the way. He wrote on social media, After careful consideration, I have made the decision to retire from professional football. I have always been rather private with things in my personal life, but I feel, given the significance, I think it is important for people to understand why and how I have made my decision. Throughout the past seven years, my wife and I have been on an immensely challenging journey with fertility issues. After years of trying and many failed rounds of IVF, my wife and I were fortunate enough to welcome the birth of our daughter in 2021. I have loved every minute of being a dad and consider it my greatest achievement in life. After experiencing some more struggles and heartache with fertility treatment, We have recently received the amazing news that our family is growing and we will be expecting twins in 2024. Given our past and how hard we have fought for this, along with the challenges that will come with having twins and a two-year-old, now seems like the right time to give my focus and attention to what is the most important thing in my life, my family. After being away for so many years, my family and I have now returned home to Australia as we look ahead to next year and the arrival of our new family members. I feel very lucky to have had a career where I spent the majority of my time playing at Celtic Football Club, one of the biggest clubs in the world, playing European football, winning many trophies, and playing in front of 60,000 fans each week. I have also been lucky enough to represent my country with the Socceroos on over 50 occasions and experience playing in major international tournaments. As a young boy growing up in Australia, I could not have imagined experience all I was able to do in football. I would like to thank all of my teammates for everything over the past 12 years. It's been a special journey, which I'll look back on with fond memories. I feel very lucky to have formed some wonderful friendships throughout football and experienced so many special moments together. I would also like to thank Peter Lowell and Dermot Desmond. Without their help, all of this would not have been possible. Through Peter and Dermot, I was put in direct contact with one of the world's leading medical experts, which eventually led to my wife and I being placed at the clinic that would give us the best chance possible to start a family. I I will be forever grateful. To the managers who supported and guided me through some tough times, I would like to say a big thank you to Brendan Rogers, Neil Lennon, John Kennedy, and Ange Postecoglou. Indeed, I would like to thank everyone in football who has given me such great opportunities throughout my career to be part of the game I love. And finally, I want to thank all the fans who have given me so much support. You have been everything to me. I'm looking forward to what comes next and can't wait to see what the future has in store for us. Report by Eden Smith Evening Times at Sport October 3 Criticism of Ibrox's great Slammed Report by Matthew Lindsay Bob Malcolm has admitted criticism of long-serving Rangers coach Billy Kirkwood and Ibrox icon John Brown has been hard for him to stomach and argued the nine-in-a-row great could help to identify players with the backbone needed to play for the Glasgow Giants going forward. It was revealed last week that Lone's manager Kirkwood and scouting coordinator Billy McLaren were set to leave Rangers as part of a major shake-up of the recruitment department and a move towards a more video and data-led operation. Meanwhile, it was reported that Brown, who returned to the Govan club he played for with distinction in the 1990s back in 2017 to head up their scouting network in the United Kingdom, was poised to move to a more ambassadorial role while retaining some duties within the football department. Malcolm, who spent several years as a player at Ibrox, and now attends Rangers matches as a fan, was bitterly disappointed when he saw online comments singling out the peer for the failure of the summer signings to make a significant impact in Scottish football this season. He said, I read some things criticising Billy Kirkwood and John Brown. It was blaming them for the recruitment. These are guys who have been at Rangers for years. It makes me sick. It has nothing to do with them. They get asked to go and watch a game and a player and come back with a report. But that comes from the manager or the director of football. That is not on the scouts who go and watch the matches. I know that the guys who have come in have not shown it enough yet. I know that Bill wanted to go down a different route with more analysis-style scouting or whatever. But Bomber knows what it takes to pull that jersey on. You need guys like that to go and watch these games. They need to see if these guys have got something about them, if they can handle what they will encounter here. That is a big thing. Everybody at Rangers is a great player. The important thing is how they deal with the fans. Michael Beale who was sacked as manager on Sunday following a 3rd cinch Premiership defeat of the season at the hands of Aberdeen, spent in the region of £13 million on no fewer than nine new players before the 23-24 campaign got under way. Malcolm, who won every honour in the Scottish game during his time at his Boyhood Heroes, and who has worked as a coach at Blackpool, Clyde, Kelty Hearts and Alloa since retiring from playing is still doubtful if the new recruits have the metal needed to represent Rangers. And he said Cyril Desers missed a chance after four or five minutes the other day and the fans got on his case straight away. It is all about how he reacts to that. Sometimes it is not nice but that is when you have to have something about you. You have to say, it's not happening for me at the minute, but I am going to give it everything. The fans recognise and appreciate that. When he got that defected goal last week, I thought, maybe that is the bit of luck he needs to kick him off. But it hasn't worked out that way. Malcolm believes his former Rangers teammate, Kevin Muscat, would be the ideal man to take over from Bill, and is adamant the contacts the former Melbourne Victory head coach and current Yokohama F. Marinos manager has built up in the global game would help to unearth some outstanding players. He said, Kevin has done very well in Japan. People may sniff at the standard of that league. But look at the Japanese players who Celtic have brought in. They're not even the best players out there. They don't always start for their national team. Tapping into markets out there would not be the worst thing. Celtic have done it. So why can't Rangers? Mascat was in charge of San Truden for six months in 2020. And Malcolm confirms it didn't work out for him in Belgium. But the club were not willing to back him and let him sign players who had to bring in guys on loan and deals were falling through at the last minute. Sometimes it isn't down to the manager himself. Report by Matthew Lindsay Times Sport October 3 Kevin McKenna says Beals Blues shine a light on the travails of Scottish football. In the shape-shifting and treacherous terrain of professional football, there's often fun to be had observing sporadic outbreaks of maudlin sentiment. Thus, when a manager loses his job, it will be the task of someone on a newspaper sports desk to solicit truly regrets about his denouement. A player will emerge from the dressing room to say that he and his colleagues let the boss down. Another whose attempt at scoring goals, recalled the old metaphor about banjos and coos asses, will be quoted saying he will always be grateful to the manager for believing in me. In normal circumstances, You would have expected to see some of these epithets in the next few days following Rangers' sacking of their manager, Michael Beale. The decision to dispense with Beale's services came as no surprise to anyone who has seen Rangers perform recently. The Ivericks club has simply been beaten too often already this season and performed so cravenly that with eight months of the campaign still remaining, and the league title probably already a lost cause, that there was a risk of further humiliations had the directors not acted. In the first dispatches about Beale's dismissal, a certain chilliness has been evident. Reviews of his ten months in the job have been uniformly pitiless and not just on account of Rangers' poor start to the season. there was a feeling that Bale was not just out of his depth in trying to manage expectations at such a massive club, but that he had lacked the necessary class and dignity expected from those who must climb Ibrook Stadium's marble staircase each day. Less than a year ago, Bill had popped up in the Rangers' director's box to watch a game while his predecessor, the former Dutch international Giovanni van Bronckhorst, was enduring his own torments on the pitch down below. It had seemed that Bill was advertising his own credentials for the job while one of his fellow managers was still fighting to hang on to it. Football managers, more than any other group of professional workers, know how fragile their tenures can be, and this creates a band of brothers' bond between even the fiercest rivals. Bill's appearance at Ibrox that day, just weeks before his predecessor was sacked, seemed to breach the informal manager's code. Moreover, he had accepted the ranger's job not long after professing loyalty to the London second tier club, Queen's Park Rangers. He had previously been an assistant coach at Ibrox when the renowned former England international Stephen Gerrard was manager between 2018 and 2021. There was a feeling among some of my Rangers supporting friends that Beale could have done more to squash a falsehood that developed during this time. This suggested that it was he and not Gerrard who had been the architect of Rangers winning the league title in 2021. This was sheer sophistry where we really expected to believe that Gerrard who had won a European Champions League medal been camped 114 times for England and played under some of the world's best coaches, was only there to provide inspirational talks and show everyone his medals. Nor did Beale help himself by appearing to be disrespectful of Aberdeen following the 3-1 victory at Ibrox last Saturday. He said that Rangers should not be getting beaten at home by a club like Aberdeen. Had he not been aware that Aberdeen were the last Scottish club to lift a European trophy against Real Madrid in 1983 and that they had arguably provided the best performance by any Scottish team this season in losing narrowly in Germany to the Bundesliga giants, Eintracht Frankfurt. And yet it's still possible to have some sympathy for Michael Beale. Like each of the other eight Rangers managers who have come and gone since 2012, he has had to endure the ruinous consequences of the club's previous custodians. In spending money they did not have, the old Ibrox regime bankrupted Rangers and forced its liquidation, which compelled it to start again in Scotland's fourth tier. In these years, their intense local rival Celtic reinforce their financial hegemony over rangers. The Parkhead Club have amassed a formidable treasure chest, reinforced by the extra revenue that comes from having a stadium that has 10,000 more seats than their great rivals, and rangers could risk further financial problems in trying to keep pace. This doesn't of itself automatically lead to dominance in this fierce city rivalry. The concentration of football wealth in only four countries, England, Germany, Spain and Italy, means that Celtic, no matter how much money they have, must recruit uncertainly from a narrower and shallower football gene pool. Rangers must also fish from that pool it's just that Celtic will usually get first pick ahead of them from what talent that exists there. Bill's permanent successor will have to deal with these realities too. There is a bigger picture here though, which adversely affects Celtic as well as Rangers. Such is the intensity of their personal rivalry that their fans demand almost instant gratification. Thus, both clubs feel compelled to pay well over the odds in risky investments for foreign players who come with garlanded and souped-up CVs. Having invested heavily in them, they are given extended runs in the team, often at the expense of their homegrown players. Celtic this season have only three Scottish players playing regularly in their first team, where Rangers in their recent game against Real Betis had none. Other big clubs across Europe who play in similarly unheralded leagues feel less pressure to play costly foreign imports at the expense of homegrown talent. They can nurture them and pride them with more opportunities to fulfil their potential than has recently been the case at Celtic and Rangers, whose expensive overseas recruits consistently fail to deliver in European competition. And when both do produce homegrown diamonds, such as Ben Doak or Billy Gilmer, they are scouted and scalped by super-rich English Premiership clubs. And why would they want to remain here anyway, and have their development stunted, by the agricultural version of the game which exists in Scotland and indulged by referees who seem more familiar with kickboxing. Celtic supporters as well as those of other Scottish clubs will exult in Rangers latest travails. To the rest of Europe though, our top clubs are mere warm up challenges for the more serious ones that await them. To them, we now occupy the same place those humble Scandinavian clubs once occupied a generation ago, says Kevin McKenna. Evening Times Sport, October 3. Robert McIntyre sets sights on another Ryder Cup experience. Report by Nick Roger. Judging by the footage circulating of Europe's jubilant Ryder Cup players having a good old knees up the other night, it could be a mad dash for Robert McIntyre to get to the first tee for this week's Alfred Dunhill Lynx Championship. There's a guy back home in Oban who has a restaurant and bar, and I said to him, if we win the Ryder Cup, you're shutting that place. And we'll have a big party for everyone, said McIntyre, who is planning more glass-clinking merriment with family and friends when he gets back to Scottish soil. Then I'll pitch up at the Dunhill, but I don't know when. In this game, you have to savour the success when they come along. In his young career, McIntyre has claimed two DP World Tour titles, has finished inside the top ten twice at the Open and has enjoyed a twelfth on his Masters debut at Augusta. Being part of the winning Ryder Cup team as a rookie, though, tops a lot. It's my best achievement, he said the day after the night before. The 27-year-old earned two and a half points from his three matches and was just one of three players to go unbeaten. Under the canny, guiding hand of the veteran, Justin Rose, who was a fine mentor in the four balls, McIntyre grew in stature as the weekend went on. Seeing a couple of putts finally going in, lifted his morale. A 2-1 and one win over the United States Open champion, Wyndham Clark, in the Sunday singles, put the finishing touches to an eye-opening, eye-catching weekend as Europe reclaimed golf's cherished little gold chalice. It was an experience of a lifetime for the young Scot. but he's determined it won't be the last time. And he said, I'm a realist, and I don't know if this will be the only Ryder Cup I play in, or the first of many, but I hope this is one of many. I know it might never happen again, But I'll do everything I can to get back into this team, whether it's next time in 2025 or in a few years' time. If this is the only one, then I've achieved a dream I've held since I knew I was half-decent at golf. But I want this to be one of many. For those looking on from the sidelines, McIntyre's contribution to the European cause was worthy of acclaim. Nicholas Colseerts, one of Luke Donnell's vice-captains and a rookie himself back in 2012 at the Miracle of Medina, was certainly impressed as he watched the Scots thrive in a very intense golfing environment. The Belgian said, On the first day, it was his first game in a Ryder Cup, and it is such a different environment, but we believed in him. He made some small contributions in his first match and then on the Saturday in his second match he felt a lot more comfortable. He was getting up to speed and come Sunday well I couldn't be any happier for him. It's difficult because people have been saying he was a controversial last qualifier and that can be tough to handle but we are also proud of him. It's hard if you play and you don't win or you don't make the contribution that you might expect to make. But he's ended his first Ryder Cup with two and a half points from three matches. I only got one point in my career, and people think I'm a Ryder Cup legend. So Robert can be extremely proud of himself. Scotland should be extremely proud of him also. After all the euphoria that comes with team success... McIntyre will be on such a high, he'll probably soar into St Andrews for the Dunhill Links, like a bird catching a thermal updraft. And Colsartz added, it takes a couple of weeks to get back to normal because it is such a massive high that you experience. Having made his mark on the Ryder Cup stage, Coleserts says no reason why McIntyre can't go on to greater feats. And he said, we know how good Bob can be, and this can definitely be a springboard for him. Can he play in future Rider Cups? Of course he can. Now he's had one. He knows what it's like to make the team, and knows what it is like to be in the team room environment. First things first though, there's another party to go to. Report by Nick Roger. Evening times sport October 3. New favorite for Rangers managers job. Report by Aidan Smith. Pascal Janssen is a new 2 to 1 favorite to be the next Rangers manager after Michael Beale was sacked on Sunday. The AZ Altmarg boss has overtaken Kevin Muscat, who has drifted to a limb to four from five to two overnight. Interim Rangers manager Stephen Davis is next in line for the permanent job at a limb to two with Neil Warnock and Derek McInnes, both 10 to one. Betfair spokesperson Sam Rossbottom said, Pascal Janssen is a new two to one favorite. Kevin Muscat's odds to replace Beale have drifted to a eleven to four from five to two. While Neil Wall is ten to one alongside Derek McInnes, other contenders include Kajetso Knutsen and Green Porter at twelve to one with Marcello Bielsa fourteen to one. Report by Aidan Smith Evening Time Sport, October 3 Luke Donald has earned a second stint as Ryder Cup captain, says Nick Roger. There's something about writing on a train that imbues the whole process with a degree of romanticism. Sitting on a roam to Milan Rattler yesterday, with my laptop out and my fingers gliding over the keys like Liberace tinkling his ivories. I was inspired by the pace of travel, the sound of the wheels on the track and the gentle sway of the carriages. Well, I was until I got my elbow dunted by the passing buffet car. As today's back page offering slowly took shape, I tend to work at the pace of a bus replacement service rather than an express train. I felt a little bit like George Bradshaw piecing together his celebrated railway companions, guides and navigational compendiums. What was it they said about the bold George's admirable endeavours again? Seldom has the gigantic intellect of man been employed upon a work of greater utility. The likeness with the Tuesday column really is uncanny, isn't it? Anyway, my week at the Ryder Cup is done and dusted, and it was quite the week. The bewildering sight of American caddy Joe La Cava, bumbling around the 18th green on Saturday night, goading Rory McElroy and ranting and remonstrating, like a drunk that's been denied entry to a taxi, was quite something. The subsequent footage of a seething McElroy effing and blinding in the car park was, well, something else. Controversy reigned. In the end, though, it was Team Europe who reigned supreme. When Europe finished the opening two sessions on Friday with a a six-and-a-half, one-and-a-half lead, There were preposterous notions swirling around the media centre that their dominance would be so complete the contest could be done and dusted by Saturday night. I got thinking of a PGA Cup match I attended many moons ago when the United States romped into a 15-1 lead against Great Britain and Ireland and had won the thing before the concluding 10 singles had even started. Such a rout did not transpire, but the fact that some seasoned old scribes were looking at the scoreboards early on Saturday morning, shaking their heads and muttering, this could be over tonight, was a startling development. Fortunately, it didn't come to that. The final scoreline was 16.5 to 11.5, Europe stars shone and delivered big moments and a big haul of points. The United States big guns, meanwhile, were more like spud guns. Scotty Scheffler became the first world number one to fail to get a full point. There has not been a close run thing in a Ryder Cup since 2012. And with home advantage, such a major factor. Many have started lamenting the predictability of the transatlantic tussle. So what do you do? Take it to a neutral venue? Some of the have suggested billing Golf's greatest team contest to various stages around the world. It's a global game, and there are vast markets to exploit. Try selling that radical concept to Rory McIntyre, though he'd probably square up to you in a car park. I've said this for the last six or seven years that one of the biggest accomplishments in golf, right now is winning an away Ryder Cup, said McElroy in the European press conference on Sunday night. And that's what we're going to do at Page in 2025. When he finished that statement, McElroy thumped the desk with a clenched fist. It's a good job for Joe La Cava. He wasn't in the way. McElroy has already got the bit between his teeth for the return encounter. As for the skipper in two years' time, McElroy and the rest made it pretty clear that Luke Donald should keep the armband, and why not? The diligent Englishman was so polished, it was like he was getting buffed up with a lint-free cloth between sessions. He made a brief speech at the opening ceremony in Italian and got the locals on sign. Zach Johnson, his United States counterpart, had two attempts at getting grazie right. The little things can count in a contest of fine margins. For a long time in the European Ryder Cup set-up, there was a kind of assumed line of succession that you'd get with a royal family. But the emergence of Live, Liv and the subsequent defection to the Saudi back series of a whole host of players with Ryder Cup captaincy credentials like Lee Westwood, Sergio Garcia, Ian Poulter and Graham McDowell put something of a spanner in the works. There have been plenty of popular and successful captains in recent years, who probably could have had another crack at it. Due to the burgeoning pile of potential candidates on the conveyor belt though, they had to keep things moving swiftly along. Circumstances are different just now. Donald, quite rightly, is basking in the glow of a glorious triumph. The fact he was asked to step into the role when Henrik Stenson was effectively sacked due to his LIV involvement has made his tenure even more impressive. A double shift then would not be the worst idea in terms of continuity and cohesion. In the women's game, Katrina Matthew was just about carried into a second term on a sedan chair after captaining Europe to a thrilling, solemn cup win in 2019. She led them to glory again in 2021 and burnished her colossal standing. As for Europe's rider team, well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, says Nick Roger. Evening Time Sport, October 3. The Lazio European Hoodoo. Report by Mark Walker. Lazio will have to smash an away day hoodoo at Parkhead after winning just once in the last 18 games away from Rome in European football. The Serie A Giants travel to Glasgow to face Celtic in the second round of fixtures in the Champions League group stages, but they are notoriously bad travellers in Europe after managing just a single win away from Italy in the last five years of three different European competitions in the Champions League, Europa League and Europa Conference League. Lazio's solitary win came in Russia when they defeated Lokomotiv Moscow 3-0 three years ago in the group stages of the Europa League and they have lost in 11 out of their 18 games away from Rome. But in the past five years, they have been defeated at Celtic, Eintracht Frankfurt, Seville, Rennes, Cluj, Galatasaray, Porto, Feyenoord, FC Midtjylland, AZ Altmar and Bayern Munich. They have drawn at Zenit St. Petersburg, Borussia Dortmund, Club Bruges, Marseille, Sturm Graz and Cluj again. And former Juventus and Italy star Giancarlo Marocci reckons there is only one way to change that, by quieting the parkhead crowd. The Italian TV pundit said, everyone knows what the atmosphere will be like at Celtic, but if Lazio start positively and keep possession for the first 10 minutes, that will soon quiet the fans down and get them frustrated. Then they allow their technicians on the ball to unlock the Celtic defence because they have better players. Report by Mark Walker
2: This is from the Glasgow Times on Thursday 5th October 2023. From the Sport section Is Scotland manager set to make major tactical switch for Spain game? by Matthew Lindsay. Scotland might be on the cusp of clinching an automatic spot at the Euro 2024 finals in Germany next summer after winning their opening five qualifiers for the first time in their history. And the national team may just require a draw and a solitary point from their next Group A match against Spain in Seville a week today, to secure their place at another major tournament. Yet, a player who has never featured at senior level for this country and could potentially never pull on a dark blue jersey in future continues to be a major focus of attention. The omission of Elliot Anderson, the Newcastle United midfielder who was called up by manager Steve Clark for the first time last month, from the Scotland squad yesterday led to a flurry of questions about his intentions. Clark, understandably given the importance of the encounter with Spain in the Estadia La Quaia de Sevilla, bristled visibly as he was grilled by the media about the talented twenty year old at Hamden. He defended his handling of the pursuit of a player who has also attracted the interest of his England counterpart Gareth Southgate and denied he had applied too much pressure on Anderson. I spoke to Elliot in March, or before the March camp, he said. He said he wanted time to think about it. I spoke to him in June. Again, he said he wanted time to think about it. Then... A third party contacted me in August and said Elliot wanted to come with Scotland, so there was no pressure from us. Anderson, who has firmly established himself in Eddie Howe's first team at St James's Park in the past two seasons, despite his age, withdrew from the Scotland squad before the Euro 2024 qualifier against Cyprus after suffering a minor injury in training. That led to speculation the former Scotland Youth Internationalist, whose paternal grandmother comes from Glasgow, had not yet felt comfortable within the set and had opted to switch his allegiances to the land of his birth. Clark, as he had done previously with Che Adams, Lyndon Dykes, Angus Gunn and Harvey Barnes during his four-year tenure, will give the youngster the space which he needs to arrive but what is a major career decision? That one has just been left as it is. He said he's a young man who's obviously got a big decision to make. He's gone away and decided, having said he wanted to come up and be a part of it, that he wants to have a think about it a bit further. Let's let the young man make his decision. Another big name not included in the 25-man squad for the forthcoming games against Spain and France was that of Kieran Tierney. The Arsenal defender who has joined Real Sociedad on loan until the end of the season suffered a hamstring injury which is set to sideline him for several months in a La Liga match against Atletico Bilbao on Sunday. Clark is bitterly disappointed for the 41 times capped 26-year-old and conceded the absence of a £25 million player would be keenly felt against Spain. In the system we play, Ciarán is quite influential, he said. He does a lot defensively and in an attacking sense too. We'll miss that. But the biggest disappointment is for Ciarán himself. Having got the move to Spain and having started so well for Sociedad, he then picks up an injury, which looks as though it's quite nasty. He's going to be out for a length of time. That's a shame for Kieran, But I had a brief text conversation with him and he's OK. He's getting his head round it and he promises me he'll be ready for Germany next summer if we need him. Clark has played with a 3 3 a 3-4-2-1 and a 5-3-2 formation during the Euro 2024 qualifying campaign to date and deployed Tierney on the left side at the back three and his captain Andy Robertson at the left wing back. Could he revert to the 4-2-3-1, which he used to great effect in the Nations League matches against Ukraine and the Republic of Ireland this time last year, when Robertson was sidelined against Spain. It would be a gamble to change things in such an important game, but there is every chance. It's always a possibility, he said. I never set it in stone that we'll play with a five. You have to look at the opposition and at the amount of time we've got on the training pitch. With it being a Thursday game, it's a little more difficult to get time on the training pitch than if it's a Saturday, when you get more time to work on certain things. But playing with a back four is definitely an option. The vast majority of players play in a back four with their clubs. I don't think too many play in a back five, so they're used to it. If we decided to go with a back four, it would mean we can get an extra body in the midfield area, which might help us. So I've got quite a lot to discuss with John Carver, the Scotland assistant. Scotland's glorious winning run came to an end at Hampden last month when they slumped to a 3-1 defeat to England in the 150th anniversary heritage match. But Clark is hopeful his charges will have learned invaluable lessons about facing world-class opponents which will stand them in good stead in Sevilla. There were bits of the game that were good, especially in the second half, he said. We have to do that earlier in the game, when the speed of the game is high and the pressure from the opposition is high. We have still to find a way to retain possession of the ball and we need to try to create chances. England don't give many chances away but we got into quite a lot of goof forward areas without finding the last bit, the last pass. I felt we didn't attack the box well enough, as we have done previously. So there are some things to work on. That's why we took the game. That article was by Matthew Lindsay. This is from the Glasgow Times on Wednesday, 4th October, 2023 from the sport section. Jack Simpson charged over alleged racist abuse at Cardiff City by Ewan Payton. Defender Jack Simpson has been charged over the alleged racial abuse of an ex-Cardiff City teammate. The FA has confirmed that the 26-year-old who is part of Rangers' 2020-21 title-winning squad, has been charged with misconduct over the allegations from Cardiff's pre-season tour in July. He left Cardiff at the end of August after making 23 appearances for the Championship Club. The FA says Simpson has until October 10th to provide a response. A spokesperson said... Jack Simpson, a former Cardiff City player, has been charged with a breach of FA Rule E3 for misconduct that took place on their pre-season tour to Portugal in July 2023. It's alleged that the defender's language towards a teammate was abusive and or insulting and or improper, contrary to Rule FA Rule E3.1. It's further alleged that this constitutes an aggravated breach, which is defined in FA Rule E3.2 as it included a reference, whether express or implied, to race and or colour. Weymouth-born Simpson began his career at Bournemouth and spent 18 months at Rangers before joining Cardiff in August 2022. Cardiff announced Simpson's departure in a brief 16-word statement on August 31st. It read, We can confirm that Jack Simpson has today left Cardiff City Football Club by mutual consent. Meanwhile, Brendan Rodgers admits he was sad to learn of Michael Beale's dismissal at Rangers the Celtic manager has candidly opened up on his thoughts following the 43-year-old's sacking by the Ibrooks club. The Englishman left on Sunday night after he was removed from his position following a third defeat from seven Premiership games against Aberdeen on Sunday afternoon. That result saw Rangers fall seven points behind Celtic in the league table, table after only two months of the 2023-24 campaign. While Rogers remains fully focused on Celtic's Champions League group stage match against Lazio tomorrow night, the Irishman was honest about his feelings on the matter. "'I'm always saddened when any manager loses their job, no matter what club they work at,' Rogers explained. "'When you manage Celtic or Rangers,' They are big pressure jobs. That article was by Ewan Payton. This is from the Glasgow Times on Thursday 5th October 2023 from the Sports section. The Incredible Story of the Glasgow's Easter House Football Academy by Sarah Hilly. An East End Football Academy has been helping make dreams come true and giving young players life-changing opportunities. Everyone gets the chance to play at the Easter House Football Academy in Edinburgh Road, which has 300 kids taking part. The Fair Play Stepford Ground is undergoing a transformation and is expected to end up with facilities to rival some professional clubs when work is finished. Taylor Murray is one of the star players emerging from the academy, which was only set up as recently as 2020. His talent saw him being put through his paces at a showcase in Madrid at the Spanish national team's training ground in July, where he was judged best performing player. The 19-year-old from Cran Hill was the only footballer offered a professional contract with a team in Georgia after the showcase and is now weighing up his options after training with the club. Taylor said, for me to train with a professional team, never mind signing with one, is an absolute dream. Taylor joined the Easterhouse Academy in 2021, aged 17. He ended up getting the opportunity to play abroad thanks to the support of agent John Fiola, who is from Easter House and wants to encourage local talent. Commenting on the academy, Taylor said, Everyone is offered a chance, no matter who you are or where you're from. Taylor, who has played with the West of Scotland First Team and was also captain for a period, added, This is a great setup. It is a great opportunity for young players who want to progress. The council have granted the lease of Stepford Sports Park to FAIR, a social enterprise. Daniel Cameron, founder of Easterhouse Football Academy, who works for FAIR, Scotland, said more than 300 kids play at the facilities, as well as 150 adults. He says, Everybody finds their level. Kids can play for fun. Everyone develops at different stages in their lives. Daniel said children don't miss out on the chance to play due to lack of money, and the SFA has helped with funding. A highlight saw the UEFA Championship Trophy visit the grounds in 2021, which Daniel described as a great honor. Since he founded it, the Academy has gone from strength to strength. Under 20s volunteer Dennis Doherty said, This used to be a rundown place. No one was using it. The academy means everything to the children. We recently gave out football boots and clothing to people who don't have much. Northeast Councillor Maureen Burke, Labour, said, We are delighted to have the academy here for the community. To have this on your doorstep is fantastic. A lot of my constituents come here. It is a well-run academy for the area. Under-20s coach Gary Anderson said, We are trying to give kids a chance. It stops kids getting into trouble. If we do that with one kid, it is a success. Commenting on the progress of the academy, he said, It is incredible how quick the turnaround has been. It's down to the hard work and vision of Daniel Cameron. Gary said the work at the grounds is nearing completion and will see the facilities on offer include two full-size pitches and two five-a-side pitches. That article was by Sarah Hilly. This is from the Glasgow Times on Wednesday, 4th October 2023 from the Sport section. UK and Ireland to host Euro 2028, as Turkey withdraw from process. By Aidan Smith The UK and Ireland will host Euro 2028, subject to final approval from UEFA's Executive Committee next week, after Turkey withdrew its interest. The Five Nation Bid is now the only option on the table for the finals in five years' time, after Turkey pulled out of contention for the 2028 finals to focus on a joint bid with Italy for Euro 2032. UEFA will formally announce the hosts for the next two tournaments following a meeting of its executive committee in Switzerland next week. UEFA issued a statement on Wednesday morning which read, further to the announcement on July 28th, which revealed the desire of the Italian and Turkish FAs to submit a joint bid to stage UEFA Euro 2032, the UEFA administration has today written to both associations to confirm that their joint bid has been duly received and will go forward for assessment and consideration. By the UEFA Executive Committee. As indicated by the FA of Turkey with its submission of the request for a joint bid, their bid to stage UEFA Euro 2028 is consequently withdrawn. The award of both tournaments still requires the approval of the Executive Committee at its meeting in Nyon on October 10th. The presentations at that meeting will be an important part of the process, which will take due consideration of the content of the bid submissions before reaching a decision. The award of Euro 2028 to the UK and Ireland should, though, be a little more than a formality now. Senior UEFA sources have stressed the importance of another tournament following on from Euro 2024 in Germany, being held in an established football market to help rebuild the organisation's reserves after the COVID-19 pandemic. The Football Association of Ireland was the first of the governing bodies involved in the five-nation bid to issue a statement in response to Wednesday's update, which read, We are looking forward to presenting our bid to UEFA on October 10th. These are exciting times and we have a very compelling Euro 2028 proposal for UEFA. Our bid is groundbreaking for the Men's European Championships and will deliver lasting legacies across the whole of Ireland and the UK. We will share full details of the bid in Nyon next week and are confident that UEFA will approve our candidacy to host Euro 2028. The UK and Ireland bid dossier was formally submitted in April and features ten stadia, six from England and one each in Northern Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, Scotland and Wales. The six English venues included in the bid are Wembley, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, the Etihad Stadium, St James's Park, Everton's New Ground at Bramley Moore Dock and Villa Park. A redevelopment casement park in Belfast is also due to be used, along with the Aviva Stadium in Dublin, Hamden Park in Glasgow and the Principality Stadium in Cardiff. That article was by Aidan Smith. This is from the Glasgow Times. On Friday 6th October 2023. From the Sports Section. Glasgow club to pay tribute to Frank MacDougall, who died at sixty-five. By Taylor Murray. Glasgow born football star Frank MacDougall has been described as a local legend by a member of one of his old city clubs. Glasgow Perthshire, a former club of MacDougall's, will be holding a minute silence this weekend to mark their respect for the striker. Sean Redmond, Match Secretary at Glasgow Perthshire, touched on the impact the former St Mirren and Aberdeen star had on the club and how a move to the Renfrewshire created an everlasting legacy in North Glasgow. It was announced on Sunday MacDougall sadly passed away at the age of 65 after he was diagnosed with lung cancer last year. Speaking exclusively to the Glasgow Times, Shawn said, He was an amazing striker and was always a joy to watch on the pitch. As a young football fan, my memories were primarily of his time at Aberdeen, where he is still revered as a top striker. Only injury robbed him of showing his talents over a longer period and no doubt adding to his medal collection. His tie with Glasgow-Perthshire, rolls back to the 70s, where, after a hugely successful period of doing what, well, Frank has always done, he moved on to Clydebank. He then moved on to St Mirren, and as part of the transfer, Glasgow-Perthshire FC received a fee. The money from that fee allowed the club to rip up the Black Ash pitch and replace it with grass, something that is still here today. Frank left a legacy here at Perthshire as he allowed the club to move forward. McDougall had close ties to Sean's family as he played with his uncle, Billy Henderson, who was a teammate and friend. This relationship allowed Sean to learn more about his uncle as a player and also form a relationship with Frank that saw the striker get right behind club initiatives. And Sean revealed recently that the former footballer was very eager to help in their community membership card scheme that looked to get home home fans in for free. Sean said, Following a meeting, myself and others from the committee went for a chat and a beer in our local Balmore bar. As soon as I opened the door, Frank was sitting to my left. I genuinely could not believe this. I asked if we could have a chat and he was obliging immediately. I introduced myself and the others and he was immediately telling us stories of his time at the club, which was an absolute pleasure to hear. What followed was Frank supporting and coming to the club to help our community membership card scheme with free entry to all home support. He was absolutely tremendous in his support, giving up his time. He was a real people person and will be sorely missed. The game will be an emotional one, but one that we want to dedicate to Frank. That article was by Taylor Murray. This is from the Glasgow Times, on Friday 6th October 2023, from the Sports section. Premier League Darts to Return to Glasgow's Oval Hydro by Morgan Carmichael The Premier League Darts is set to return to Glasgow's Oval Hydro next year. The event will be held at the famous West End venue on Thursday, February 15th, 2024. The Ovo Hydro made the announcement via X, previously known as Twitter, saying, Announced, Premier League Darts returns to the Ovo Hydro on Thursday, February 15th, 2024, for an epic night of sport. Pre sale will take place on Tuesday, October 10th at 12pm, with the general sale taking place on Thursday, October 12th at 12pm. Tickets can be purchased online. That article was by Morgan Carmichael.
0: From the Glasgow Times, Saturday, the 7th of October, from the Sports section Celtic 3, Kilmarnock 1. Instant reaction to the burning issues Report by Graeme McGarry Celtic overcame a late rally from Kilmarnock to stretch their advantage at the top of the Premiership table as goals from Rio Hatate, Lewis Palmer, and Greg Taylor made sure the three points stayed in Glasgow. David Watson had hit a counter for Kelly in the second half to temporarily reduce their readers and bring the visitors within a goal of the champions but any hope of a shock was short-lived. Here are the talking points from a sodden Celtic park. Palma makes big impression on the first league start. It was somewhat surprising that Celtic manager Brendan Rogers opted for Yang over Palma on the left of his attack from the start against Lazio, citing his physicality, but it was no surprise to see the Honduran in from the get-go here after an impressive cameo from the bench on Wednesday night. He sees his opportunity to impress, showing more of a willingness to run at defenders than has been evident in his fleeting appearances to date and displaying good understanding in linking up with his teammates. He capped off his display with a brilliant second for Celtic, pouncing on Joe Wright's error and making the most of his good fortune as he played the ball off Hattie for an inadvertent 1-2. When the ball rebounded back to him, he took a second to steady himself and then curled a beauty into the top right-hand corner past the despairing dive of Will Dennis. Famed organisation deserts Derek McInnes's men. Celtic manager Rodgers has said many kind things about Derek McInnes of late, talking up the Kelly manager to step into the dugout on the other side of Glasgow, but none of the organisation defensive that Rodgers so admires in his opponent's teams was on show here. Quite the opposite in fact, as the visitors made an already difficult task all the harder for themselves by helping Celtic on the way to their opening two goals. True credit has to go to Hatati for the first, mind you, with the midfielder showing brilliant feet to drag the ball away from Watson and send him for a hot dog. He drove towards the box and couldn't quite believe his luck as the Kelly defender simply stepped out of his way. He wasn't about to pass up the invitation to shoot and he duly placed the ball into the bottom right hand corner of Dennis's goal. Quite what Wright was doing for Celtic's second, though only he knows attempting a pass that was never on and being punished accordingly by Palmer, Celtic's third goal to quell Kelly's late fight back was poor from their perspective too, as Taylor tapped home an acres of space from a simple Dizimena flick from a corner. VAR calls annoyed both sides. The refereeing team upset both camps with a couple of decisions, with Kelly annoyed about a possible offside for Celtic's second goal, and the host perturbed when they overturned a penalty awarded for an apparent foul by Watson on Hitati. As for the first call, Kelly may have had justifiable cause for complaint. When Palmer placed the ball forward to Hatati, the midfielder does appear to be leaning offside. The goal was checked by VAR team David Dickinson and John Mcrossin, but after a short delay it was awarded, much to the surprise and frustration of McInnes in the Kelly dugout. In fairness to referee Matthew McDermott and the VAR team, it looked to be the correct call following the overturn on of his on field decision when it came to the spot kick, which looked soft on first viewing. On in closer inspection, it seemed to be Hatati who initiated the contact, and Kelly almost made the most of their lifeline. Belated resilience from Kilmarnock. Kelly had really struggled to make any sort of impression on the game in the opening 45 minutes and at 2-0 at the interval it appeared simply a case of how many Celtic would go on to win by. Indeed, there was a couple of let-offs early in the second half too, as both Hatati and Kyogo Furahashi went close, but they hung in there and eventually made something of a fist of clawing their way back into the game. A tweak to their system allowed the hitherto isolated Kelvassal to link up with substitute Liam Polworth, who slipped the ball through to the tireless Watson as he was marauding into the Celtic box. The youngster kept his skill to slip the ball under Joe Hart and suddenly, it was briefly game on. But Celtic soon overcame that wobble as Kelly conspired to shoot themselves in the foot once more. Greg Taylor goes into Scotland duty in fine form. It seems a little unfair to call Taylor a left-back. seems that he was only nominally playing the position. He was here, there and everywhere as he harried and pressed up, the, up high up the pitch out of possession and continuously supported the attack as Celtic pinned Kelly in. Taylor, like a few of his teammates, had something of a sluggish start to the season, but his performance in the win over Livingston a couple of weeks ago seems to have sparked him back into life and, along with Hatati and Palma, he was, he was again one of Celtic's best performers. He capped it off by popping up with a goal against his former club and an important win at that tapping home the killer third from close range after peeling round the back at a corner. An injury to Kieran Tierney may well allow Taylor to get some game time for his country in the forthcoming matches against Spain and France, and, on this evidence, he is more than capable of making his mark at that level too. And that report was by Graeme McGarry. From the Glasgow Times, Saturday the 7th of October, from the sports section. Rogers on Biggest Surprise of My Career Celtic Star Report by Aidan McDonald. Brendan Rogers insists Liam Scales is a surprise of his coaching career after the Irishman's performance against Kilmarnock. The Scottish Champions defeated Derek McKinnon's men three one at Parkhead thanks to goals from Rio Hitate, Lewis Palmer and Greg Taylor. And Rogers was happy with the performance overall. Speaking to BBC Radio Scotland, he said I thought the, the players were excellent and I think the scoreline didn't show the quality we had but I am really pleased because we are very creative. I think the block of games we, we have been tough but we have come through them very well. We had two Champions Leagues where we competed but not, did not quite get the results we wanted so it was a case of regrouping because you have that competitive spirit. Scales is a player who has thrived under Rodgers playing eight times for Celtic so far this season and the 15-year-old feels he's going from strength to strength. Scales, he was outstanding, and I'm so happy for him. He's probably one of the biggest surprises for me in my career as a coach, and only because I had not seen him play so much, and there were other players ahead of him. Through one leaving and one being injured, I had seen enough in training to give him an opportunity. You ideally want a left-sided centre-back in your team who has good pace and intelligence, and he has all of that. You can see in his performances that he has really grown as a player and I'm so happy for him because there is a big focus on the Irish players when they come here but he has been outstanding. And that story was by Aidan MacDonald. Evening Times Sport,
1: October 9 Scotland must keep core group together, says Faggerson. Report by David Barnes. Matt Faggerson believes the key to Scotland bouncing back from their second successive World Cup pool stage exit is to make sure the core of the squad stays together so that the squad can start their next four-year cycle building to the 2027 Rugby World Cup immediately. The players will now return to their clubs for the remainder of the calendar year with the Scots-based ones to be rested for a few weeks, while the English and French-based ones will not be given as much or perhaps any time off. Scrum half Ben White starts training with too long today. The squad will then reconvene early in 2024 to begin preparations for the Six Nations, which kicks off away to Wales on February three. Reason Faguson if you look at Ireland since that last World Cup, they seem to have managed to keep that core together and build on the progress they made leading into that tournament. The group we have at the minute is pretty incredible. We have spoken a lot over the last while about how well connected it is. And that's not just something we say. It is genuinely the best connected group we have had and it's great to be part of. So, if we can keep that core together, then we have so many great squad players out with who we can bring in. So the building blocks are there, and we need to start that next four-year cycle coming into the Six Nations. The back rower admitted that the squad were gutted, that their crucial pool match against Ireland was dead as a contest, before they managed to fire a shot on Saturday night, but added that the outlook should not be all doom and gloom. South Africa are probably the most physical team in the world, and for 60 minutes of that game we definitely fronted up, he said, in reference to Scotland's Pool B opener, which they lost 18-3. Ireland have got that same sort of physicality, but they've added that layer of a great skill set amongst their forwards, and I think we were maybe caught out a little bit by that. We pride ourselves on defence. We are up there as one of the best defensive systems in the world, but we were shown where we are weak in that area by Ireland, so it is a lesson learned. Everyone is pretty gutted. It obviously did not start the way we wanted. it, and Ireland are a very well-drilled team. Everyone seems to be on the same page with the way they play, and they've had four years to perfect that. Over the last four or five weeks, we have been shown a blueprint of what it takes to be at the top, and we will take a lot of lessons out of this World Cup, then hope to put our best foot forward in the Six Nations. Report by David Barnes Evening Times Sport October 9 Simone Biles And the Rare Case of Overcoming the Yips Report by Susan Egglestar There is something horribly riveting about watching an athlete get the yips Witnessing someone who is amongst the very best in the world at their chosen discipline becomes unable to operate to even the standard of a junior athlete is a fascinating spectacle and impossible to rip your eyes away from. When it happened to Simone Biles at the Tokyo Olympics just over two years ago, it was a case of the yips as severe and as shocking as they come. The American is widely accepted to be one of, if not, the greatest gymnast ever to grace this planet. Going into the 2020 Olympics, she was already a four-time Olympic gold medalist, and 19-time world champion. She was unsurprisingly the hot favourite to win at least a few more Olympic titles in Tokyo. But she got the yips. In gymnastics, it's called the Twisties, but it's just a different name for the Yips. Despite a decent start to the 2020 Olympic Games, Biles helped the USA team to team gold and in the process, qualified for all five individual finals. There was evidently, from the off, something not quite right with the American. There were far more mistakes and much less perfection than we had become accustomed to. And then it became apparent the reason for Belle's decline in performance. She had the yips. In both her warm-up and in the competition proper, she balked mid during her vault, performing 1.5 twists rather than her planned 2.5 twists. And the yips started to creep in on several other pieces of apparatus. Which is far from ideal in a sport in which one mistake can have catastrophic consequences. She subsequently withdrew from the Tokyo Olympics, saying she was putting her mental health first. I cannot have been the only one to think we had seen the last of Biles at the very top of her sport. She was 24 years old, which, in the sport of gymnastics, is approaching something considered elderly, and it is well documented quite how difficult the yips are to overcome within sport. The term the yips has been around for literally years. It was coined by the golfer Tommy Armour almost a hundred years ago, and since then a surprisingly high number of elite athletes have suffered from this most debilitating of impediments. The technical description of the YIPS is a psychoneuromuscular impediment interfering with the execution of fine motor skills and when suffering from it renders even the most proficient of athletes unable to perform the most basic skill. And what's so devastating about suffering from the YIPS is the fact there's not a single evidence-based intervention that's been proven to cure a case of it. Despite manifesting as a physical issue, it clearly stems from the brain. Biles, for example, physically, could perform the vault she was attempting perfectly. She'd done it for years. Similarly, others who have had a case of the yips have been impeded on the most basic of skills. It prevails most commonly in golfers, amongst others Sergio Garcia, Ernie Els, Marco Mira, Bernhard Lange, Tom Watson, and perhaps most starkly David Duval, who went from world number one to a PGA Tour outcast almost overnight, thanks to a dose of the yips, have all succumbed. And it happens in other sports. Stephen Hendry and Steve Davis in snooker, Eric Bristow in darts and countless baseball, basketball and NFL players have become victims. Very few have recovered to be as good or better than they were before the yips hit. Which is why Simone Biles' 2023 World Championships campaign, which ends today, has been so remarkable. These World Gymnastic Championships in Antwerp were Biles' first appearance at the event in four years. Having taken a significant break from the sport, following her Tokyo 2020 nightmare, she returned to competition earlier this year. There are many, myself included, who wondered if anyone, even someone as great as Biles, could banish the yips in a way so few have managed. She's answered the doubters in convincing fashion all last week. Not only has she picked up several medals, including gold, she's burst back onto the scene magnificently. In becoming the first woman to successfully perform the Yuchenko Double Pike Vault a few days ago, it's been named after her making it the fifth skill named after the American. It was objectively a remarkable vault, but what's even more astonishing is what she's overcome to return to this point. Recovering from a physical injury in elite sport is hard, but recovering from a mental issue is most always so much harder. That Biles has managed it proves once more what a unique athlete she is. And incidentally, for every person who claims women's sport is less impressive than men's sport, take one look at Biles and try to make that argument. And another thing, the news last week that the Cycling World Championships, which took place in Glasgow in August, have come in £8 million over budget, is both disappointing and disheartening. These World Championships were, for the 10 days they took place, a spectacular event, but by costing over £60 million has done nothing for the claim that hosting a major sporting event is good value for money. These days it is unthinkable for any mega sporting event to take place without the added allure that there will be a lasting legacy. It is what's used to justify the exorbitant cost of hosting these events. But when it comes in millions over budget, it sadly does little to convince the onlooking public that it is good value for money, says Susan Edelstaff. Evening Times Sport October 9. Suiness to play key role in Rangers manager search. Report by David Irvin. Graham Suiness will reportedly play a key role in the Rangers managerial search. The board has reportedly enlisted the former Ibrox boss to assist in appointing the next manager in Glasgow. It is claimed Suiness is advising chairman John Bennett. Chief Executive James Bisgrove and Director Graeme Park as they plot Michael Beale's successor. The daily records suggest Soonis, who turned down an ambassadorial role at Ibrox, is offering up his expertise to aid the managerial recruitment drive. It's even claimed Soonis was involved in discussions last week alongside Rangers representatives as Frank Lampard was rogued out of the running for the job. It comes as the Rangers Review reports the search for a new manager will ramp up in the coming days, with Bennett and Bisgrove preparing for final interviews in London. Kevin Muscat, Philippe Clement and Oliver Glasner have all been put forward as potential candidates for the job. Reports that Billy Davis, Ryan Lowe and Scott Parker are in the running have been dismissed. Beale was sacked by Rangers last weekend after defeat to Aberdeen with Stephen Davis placed as interim manager of the club. Despite suffering defeat to Aris Limassol on Thursday in the Europa League, Davis did get Rangers back to winning ways against St Myrne yesterday. After the match, asked about his position regarding the Ibrox job on a full-time basis, he commented, Listen, my full focus has been on the last few days. It's been a bit of a whirlwind and pretty hectic with everything. We always wanted to get these games out of the way and have a chat. I'm sure the club and board will be working diligently trying to get the right person in place but I'm not sure when that will be. Pushed on whether he'd like to be considered, Davis added, I haven't even considered it, and that's the honest truth. Report by David Irvin. Evening Times Sport, October 9. No St. Murren complaints over red card. Report by Ronnie Esplin. St. Munn boss Stephen Robinson had no complaints about Ryan Strain's red card for handling the ball near the line, which proved so pivotal in what was his first league defeat of the season. Rangers comfortably defeated the Paisley side 3-0, James Tavernier scoring a double, and Abdallah Sima continued his fine form in front of goal. Skipper Tavarney scored from the spot in the 29th minute after Saint's strain was shown a red card by referee Nick Walsh for denying a clear goal-scoring opportunity. Attacker Sima stroked in a second in the 70th minute and Tavarney hammered in a third in the 90th as Rangers leapfrogged Robinson's side into second place, seven points behind leaders Celtic going into the international break. Said Robinson, I thought we were excellent to start with. The red card changes the whole game. People have to make decisions in the game. It's just a reaction from him. It's a poor decision, we know that, and the referee gets it 100% correct. I was miles away and thought at first it had hit a ranger's hand but obviously it didn't. It's definitely a sending off. If you go one nothing down with 11 men, we're still right in the game, we're playing really well, but the red card changes it completely. Stephen Davis believes Rangers 3 nothing win at St Mirren was a step in the right direction for the managerless Ibrox club. The former Jazz midfielder, whose contract had expired in the summer but was continuing his rehab from a knee injury at the club, took up the reins on an interim basis last weekend after Michael Beale departed following the 3-1 home defeat by Aberdeen. Davis's first game in charge was an embarrassing 2-1 Europa League defeat against Aris Limassol in Cyprus on Thursday night but this result was far more positive for the Ibrox side. Said Davis, who revealed 17-year-old deputant Zach Lovelace had to come off in the first half with a hamstring complaint. Robinson has them really well organised, so we were delighted to come here, keep a clean sheet and score three goals. It is a step in the right direction going into the international break. It was important to come here as a group and the fans as well and win. There is still a long way to go, but it is certainly a step in the right direction. We have to take the positives, but we will not get ahead of ourselves. It is only a small step to where we want to go, but it is a positive step and I'm sure the players will take some belief from it.
0: Report by Ronnie Esplin That concludes this week's edition of the Glasgow Times Sports Podcast. Please remember to subscribe to our channels, at Cure Review, and to tell your friends about our service.